Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you guys here this weekend, and welcome, everybody, watching online. It's great to have you guys here as well. Uh, let me hit on a couple things before we start rolling. First thing is this discovery group, and uh, if you haven't done discovery yet, super duper really, really want you to do that. And so if I could like ask a personal favor of you, it would be that you go through discovery group. And uh, in, in this whole like time of COVID, when our lives and our kind of our patterns are disrupted, uh, connecting and like tying in is a big, big deal. And discovery helps us to do that. And so if you feel disconnected or if you're newer to Grace and you haven't kind of met anybody yet, uh, Discovery will allow you to do that. I'll, I'll be there and uh, teach this first week and then you'll, you'll meet some friends, you'll meet some of the other pastors, uh, but it's really worth the investment. So do that for me and be a part of it. Uh, go to the app right now. If you're online, just show up there or uh, uh, register there online and let us know that you want to be that, and we would love to have you there, and we will have Chipotle there. Uh, that is our bribe uh, to get you to come to Discovery Group, so, so do that. Second thing, uh, we've done some stuff with our services that are important. As more and more of us are coming back to in-person services, uh, we want to keep meeting those needs. And so the first thing we did was we added children's ministry to the 4.30 service on Saturday. And so uh, if you've had trouble kind of RSVMPing with your kids and things like that, there's full children's ministry at 4.30 on Saturday. Uh, come to that service. That service is the service where we're really, really diligent about wearing masks all the way through the services. So if that's a kind of a first step for you and something that's really important for you, we kind of set that service up strongly for that and the kids are involved. And then to continue to make room, we added another service. So we added another service on Sunday at 11.45 at the Montrose building. And I'm speaking there, there's a live band there. It's just like a, a jet road service if you've never been over there. So I encourage you guys to do that. And that's a service where there's space on Sunday morning. So if it's lots of room to distance, and be a part of it, but would love for you to check that out. And again, full children's ministry. So big stuff, fun stuff. As, as COVID's uh, prayerfully lifting a little bit, uh, we want to make spaces where we can reconnect if we want to. All of our online stuff will stay full blast because we know some of you aren't able uh, to reconnect yet in person. And so don't want you to feel that pressure. So you'll still have these resources. But if you're thinking about that, or wanting to start to make those connections, those are set up for you and want you to take advantage of it, okay? So check all of that out. So we started a series a couple weeks ago called Wasting Your Life to Save the World. And we were talking about Jesus and Jesus's kind of his, his mindset or his approach to life. And we said that it's interesting when you really look at what Jesus did, he didn't come to the earth to change the world, he came to save the world, and those are actually two very different things. So changing the world is usually rooted in the idea that the world isn't the way I want it to be, and so I'm going to leverage myself to make it the way I want it to be. Saving the world's different in that you would look and say the world has a need, and I will sacrifice myself to provide that need for the world around me. And that's what Jesus did. He laid his life down 
for the world around him. He saw our spiritual need, and so he offered his life or he sacrificed his life. Jesus wasn't murdered. You can't kill God. So he laid his life down. He offered himself as a sacrifice, and that's how he changed or saved us in the process. So as his followers then, we would look and say, well, we're living a life that mimics or models after Jesus's life. We wanna act like, talk like, think like, love like he did. So the Bible says we ought to offer our lives also and live a life of love as Christ loved us. And so we also offer our lives or lay our lives down. And what was interesting was even in Jesus's crew right around him when he was on the earth, his boys were like, you're wasting your life. You're wasting your life. Jesus, you're God, you have power, you have political influence, you're popular. You should use all of that. You should change the political system. You should just give everybody what they want and then they'll follow you. And Jesus said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. What, what you call wasting my life, I call investing. What you call wasting my life, I call being a ransom for many. Uh, what you call wasting my life, I call offering my life. So if you're gonna say I'm wasting my life, then I guess I'll waste my life in order to save the world. And people would look at the followers of Jesus in the same ways. And we would look and say, no, what, what you call a waste we call fellowship. What you call a waste, we call laying up treasures in heaven. What you call a waste, we call offering ourselves. So if we're going to waste our life, we're doing that in order to save the world. So we talked about that for uh, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, online, podcast, on the app, everything's right there. Maybe worth catching up with those conversations. But I want to build off of those conversations this weekend by talking about how following Jesus works and how and what it feels like to be called as an individual and as a corporate group, what the Bible would call the church. So we looked at this passage quite a bit last week in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, where Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we asked this question, what is that calling? As an individual follower of Jesus, if I'm called, what am I called to do? Well, the Bible says that we're called to follow Jesus' example. He lived a life of love, and he laid his life down as a sacrifice. So we do that. We love each other. We love our neighbor. We offer our lives. We bear each other's burdens. We offer ourselves the way that Christ offered himself. And we said this idea of calling is not about your personal fulfillment. This is not about you finding ways that God can make your life be what you want it to be. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't see equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself a servant, made himself nothing, and became obedient to even death on the cross. So if he's our example, my interaction with God is not about what God can do for me. My interaction with God is about how God wants me to lay my life down for others. And so we talked about that a lot. You can listen to that. But I want to kind of build off of this idea a little bit that we are called individually. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
The Bible says that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God places a calling on your life. He calls you to do good works, which he created in advance for you to do. So there was a reason that you were created. There's a reason that your life has played out the way that it has played out, so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. And that idea tends to actually make sense in our culture that I have a relationship with God, God has a draw on my life, and I gotta figure that out so that I can interact and please God. What I wanna do this weekend is I wanna complete our understanding of that calling, because what you're gonna see here as we talk is that God does have a calling on your life, and you're gonna see that we, the church, the people of God, are a part of each other's calling. That my relationship with God is not something that is just me and God, it's actually something that we as Christ followers are a part of it. So the Bible says this, when I accept Jesus as my savior, a bunch of things happen to me. Uh, my sins are forgiven, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. He's given to me as a deposit, guaranteeing my place in heaven, and then starts to work in me. And then the other thing that happens is I'm woven in or I become a part of the spiritual entity of the church. And that's a spiritual thing that happens to me as I become a part of the church or the body of Jesus Christ. And this is huge and it's a huge part of scripture and it's a really, really important thing for us to understand so that we interact with the Bible correctly and that we interact with God correctly and that we pursue our calling correctly, all right? So let's think of it, let me kind of show this to you a little bit. So Jesus is the point of all of it, right? So we follow Jesus, we worship Jesus. Jesus is the source of our salvation. It's all about Jesus all the time. He, is the, he has supremacy over all, the scripture says. So that part makes sense. When I understand who Jesus is, that he is God, that he loves me, and that he made a way to, for me to have a way of escape, for me to be ransomed, I respond to Jesus, and that tends to make sense a little bit. So I accept Jesus' salvation. I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a relationship with me. I respond to who Jesus is. Jesus places a calling on my life, and all of that makes sense. And so I start to follow and understand and love Jesus. And for most people, for many people, if we're not careful, this is where our understanding of our relationship with Jesus would stop. He forgave me of my sin. I surrendered my weaknesses to him. His spirit filled me and empowered me so that I can follow him and I can overcome my sin and be the person that he's called me to be. And we would kind of categorize that and say that, that is my relationship with God. Now that is true and that is extremely clear in the scripture. So that is absolutely true. Then we would know from scripture that there's another relationship that Jesus has that also makes sense to us, and that's Jesus' relationship with his church. So Jesus' relationship with his church is extremely clear in scripture. You can't read the Bible and this not jump out to you, right? 
And the Bible uses all these metaphors about what the church is. We are a holy nation, people belonging to God, a royal priesthood. The Bible calls us the metaphor of his body, we're his bride, we're his family, we're his flock. And so there's this other relationship that Jesus has with the church. And Jesus started the church, Jesus created the church, Jesus empowers the church, and this spiritual entity of the church is clear in scripture. Now for many, many people who grew up in North America where we by culture, this is not good or bad, it just is. By culture, we are taught to be individualistic. That's the way that a North American thinks. It's just the way that we are. It's no big deal, it's just the way that we are. For many people, when we come from our culture, we would think of these as two different truths. I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a relationship with the church. And the church may or may not affect my relationship with Jesus. That's kind of my decision. So whether I go to church, whether I like my church, whether I think the pastor's sexy, which I am, like well, all those kind of things, like that is kind of be, that's kind of between me and what I think, but really I'm just responding to Jesus. And then the church kind of fits into my life where it fits into my life. But I would think of my interaction with Jesus and I would think of Jesus' interaction with the church as like two separate things, right? Now, the problem is, ready? That's not biblical. That's not the way that the Bible would lay it out at all. So what the Bible would show us is this relationship. I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a relationship with the church. And I have a relationship with the church and the church has a relationship with me. So my calling is tied to our calling. And when Jesus views us he views us in a triune, a three-way relationship with himself, his church, and an individual. And this relationship in God's mind cannot be separated. You have an individual relationship with Christ, and Jesus has a relationship with his church, but then I'm a part of the church and the church is a part of me, it can't be separated, right? So I was trying to think of a way to describe this. So this is what I thought of. Think of a football player. If I looked and said, I'm a football player, okay? Here's a deep philosophical question for you. This is as deep as I get, ready? Here it is, right? Here's deep. Can I be a football player without a team. Can I be a football player if there's no football team? And can a football team be a football team without football players? How do you separate that? Because you can't play football by yourself. So I can't be a football player unless I'm a part of a team and the team can't play football unless it's a part of, unless it has players. They have to be connected. By the very definition of what it is, it is connected to each other. See? Can I be a Christ follower without being a part of and loving and engaging in the church 
can the church be a church without Christ followers? Neither one of them can function without Christ. They have to function in that unity by definition of what they are. The idea that I can follow Jesus on my own is a false nomer that in the Bible, it's not biblical. I must do that in the context of the church. And the idea that the church would function without me is a false nomer. The church has to be made up of individuals, right? So what happens is this. If I can't get my head around that, then I won't be able to get my head around the callings of Scripture. So let me give you an example. One of the clearest callings in Scripture that that we would talk about all the time, especially here at Grace, is the Great Commission. So here's the Great Commission. Jesus' words, Matthew 28, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Go where? Go to all the ends of the earth. And do what? Make disciples, teaching them to do what? To obey everything that I've commanded you. So teaching them to follow Christ. Now here's the question. Does this commandment, does this calling apply to me as an individual or to us as a church? And the answer is, ready? Yes. It applies to me and it applies to us. And if we, as Christ followers, don't have our head around this triune relationship, then we can't get our head around this. Because this is something that I cannot do on my own. How am I going to go into the whole world and I make all the disciples? How in the world would I possibly do that? I can't do it on my own And we can't do it without individuals who are willing to do it. You can't play football by yourself. And you can't be a team if you don't have football players. The relationship has to be there. So that's my calling. That's our calling. But if I don't understand my relationship with Christ and his church, then there's no way for that to make sense. Right? Now this is, this is what I believe the scripture would teach us. If I don't have this idea down, right, because it's not just me and Jesus, and it's not just Jesus and the church, it's this relationship. If I don't have that relationship down, what will happen is I will wind up kind of on one extreme or another when it comes to how I view and interact with God and his church. So one side of that is this idea of personal grandeur personal grandeur, right? And personal grandeur, I just define it this way, that God is speaking to me and me alone. If I believe that it's only me and Jesus, I don't need the church, I don't need anybody else, just me and Jesus, and I interact with Jesus, and when I read the Bible, Jesus speaks to me and me alone, and I get special words from God, and I have a special calling from God, and you don't understand, I have a relationship with God that you're not a part of or have no impact in, it is me alone, then I will come up with a personal grandeur. If I don't fulfill the great commission, the fate of the world rests on me. I'm on a mission from God, 
and the fate of the world rests on me. And you're not allowed to be in it, around it. You can't talk back. You can't push. You can't refine it. I can't share it. I must do these things. And that's one extreme. And it actually comes from not understanding that relationship. The other extreme of this idea is the idea of extreme corporate responsibility. I just wrote it this way, that the directives of scripture are the church's responsibility to fulfill and I'm not involved. So you know what the church should do? You guys, I get these emails by the way, you guys, you guys should do something about uh, racial injustice. You guys should do something about poverty. You guys, you guys should do something about people who don't know Jesus. You guys should do that. I have a whole list of suggestions that you guys should do. And the other extreme is that I will look and say, listen, there's a group of paid professionals that I've entitled the church, and you guys as paid professionals should do something about what the Bible says. And that is your responsibility to do those things. And if I don't understand that relationship, then all of this will get out of balance. And what happens is this. If I have a high sense of grandeur and a low sense of the church, then what I will do is I will stand out here because I have a unique relationship with God that nobody else has discovered in the last 2,000 years. Just me and I will become a critic of the church. And here's everything that's wrong with the church and everything that's wrong with church people and all the dark history of the church and I am not gonna be a part of that because I've been somehow personally enlightened by God. And I'm above that and outside of that and you guys are kind of messed up for being a part of it. And if you have the imbalance the other way, you'll swing it, and the church will look down on people. So you guys, uh, do you guys, you guys can't know the Bible. Is your name Dr., Reverend Dr. Jeffrey A. Bogue? Well, mine is. So you don't understand the Bible, only I understand the Bible. You can't think for yourself. You need to wait for an edict to come down from high. And I will translate everything and you must come to the church for information and the church for knowledge. And you can't do any activities outside the officially sanctioned activities of the church. And the pendulum will swing the other way and this church will look down on people or people will look down on the church. And I think when you get to either one of those extremes ready, both of them break the heart of God because it's not the relationship he established for us. Did Jesus die for you? Yes. Did Jesus die for the church? Yes. Did Jesus call you? Yes. Did Jesus establish the church? Yes. So if those two things are separated in my mind, is my mind aligned with the heart of God? Now one of the big metaphors Jesus uses is the body, a physical body. 
So the Apostle Paul talks about this. Super familiar passage to some of you because it's a, it's a key passage when it comes to understanding our faith. So I, I truncated it a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as a body, though one, is many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, so that its parts should be e have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is, rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Every single follower of Jesus is a part of the body of Jesus, and the body is a part of you. And in this metaphor, in detail, Paul writes out, he's like, you can't have a, the hand, can't say to the foot, why? Because the hand and the foot are a part of each other. They're individual, but they're inseparable. Same blood flows through them, same nerves flow through them. They're a part of each other, and it's Christ, not organized religion, it's Christ who made us that way, right? Now, this is a very, very big deal. And this relationship is a very, very big deal. And it's a big deal to our understanding of the church. Ready? I wanna show you why this is a big deal to the Great Commission because this is not a, a corrective conversation where I'm like, listen, start thinking right. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I want us to, the reason we're talking about this is because I actually see in our world today an enormous opportunity to share the hope and the love of Jesus, but it's an opportunity that can only be seized if we understand this. If we don't understand this, we'll miss it. But if we can understand this, we can share the hope and the love of Jesus in a way that pleases him and will be powerful and distinct in the world that we live in today, right? Listen, one of the saddest things that's happening in our world today is that our world has become suspicious accusatory and aggressive toward each other. Breaks my heart. We are suspicious of each other. Why'd you say that word, not this word? Why'd you say, why'd you say, that, why'd you say it that way, not this way? I, 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 I didn't even know. The phrase changed. I didn't even know, right? My kids will help me out once in a while. I'm grateful for them because they'll come up to me and they're like, Dad, don't say that anymore. I'm like, when did, when did that become a thing? Well, like last week. Became a thing last week. You don't know about it? I'm like, no, I don't know about it, right? Because all my friends on Facebook are 50. I didn't know, right? And suddenly, I can say something or you can say something you didn't know, but you'll be categorized, because we're suspicious of each other. We're always watching, but we're not watching out for each other in our culture today. We're watching for failures or mistakes to be made in our culture today. It's very sad. 
Our world is very accusatory. By the way, the Bible says that the devil, Satan, is the accuser. And our world is very accusatory today. You think that way, then you are all these things. You don't do that, then that means you are all these things. Well, you don't, but you don't know me. You don't know my heart. You don't know why I made that decision. You don't know anything about it. No, 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 no. Everybody knows if you do that, you are all these things. And then the way that we have decided together as a culture to bring correction to all that is to cancel each other. And we, we literally call it the cancel culture. Oh, you, may, you made a mistake? Cancel. Oh, you, you, you said something that you're not supposed to say? Cancel. No investigation, no conversation, no restoration, cancel. And somebody's making up the rule of what you get canceled for and what you don't get canceled for. How come that guy didn't get canceled? But that guy got canceled. It doesn't make any sense. And so as a culture, we're walking on eggshells right now. And what you say and how you say it and whether you get accused or whether you don't get accused and then are they going to cancel me or not cancel me? And that is the state of our culture. Division has happened. Divisiveness is the goal. And it has caused us to push away from each other relationally so that we fear each other instead of serve and love each other. Ready? The church has an enormous opportunity to proclaim the hope and the truth of Jesus if we can get a hold of this relationship, right? This is what Jesus said. These are his words, John 17. He says, he's talking to his father. He says, Father, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. By the way, that, that's you and me if you're a Christ follower here tonight. If you're a Christ follower this weekend and you're here, then Jesus is literally praying for you because he's praying for his disciples as who the immediate context is. But he's like, I also pray for the people who are gonna find out about me because of their testimony. So that's us if you're a Christ follower. So I don't, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm praying for those guys. I pray that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that fascinating? Not because you're a Christian and you're supposed to get along with everybody. You're a Christian and you better not, because you better get to church, you better be in church. You better not, you better, you better not miss anything online. You better, none of that. I pray that they understand that to have a relationship with me is to have a relationship with the church is to have a relationship with each other. I pray that they get that, Father, because if they can get that, the world will believe that you sent me. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Catch that. In the context of our world today, where we accuse and we attack and we cancel, Jesus would look and say, if my people called by my name can get their head and their heart around this, 
that their relationship with me is not separate than their relationship with the church. And that their relationship with me is tied to their relationship with each other. And if they can grasp that and understand that loving their brother and sister is loving me and loving me is loving their brother and sister. If they can get that unity and that oneness, then what will happen is they, instead of accusing each other, would go to each other. They would confess their sins to each other. They would bear each other's burdens. They would extend grace, compassion, love, and patience with each other. Because they would be doing that as an act of worship to me, not as a way of putting up with each other. If they could get their head around that this is one relationship here, then they would do things like this. When they are offended, they'll go to the person that offended them in love. When one of them sins, the people who are mature, who really kind of have their head around this, they, they will go to the person in sin and seek to restore them, not seek to cancel them. They will, instead of shunning each other for their sins and their weaknesses, they will bear those burdens together and pursue discipleship and pursue Christ-likeness in a unity with each other. And that unity and division is so important to Jesus. Later on, the apostles are talking about that, and they actually say, if there's a brother or a sister who's intentionally disciple, uh, divisive, you should remove them from the church. Well, why? Because you, you can't play football without a team. They don't want it. I don't want to be around the people I go to church with. Well, then you, don't, you wouldn't want to be around Christ himself. And Jesus would look and say, guys, if you can get this and live this and allow this to drive you, the world who cannot get that, cannot understand it, they will know about me because you will illustrate to them an alternative. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live in fear of other people. You don't have to live under accusation. You don't, in fact, what? You don't, don't hide your sin. Confess it so we can help each other. You don't have to live this way. Wouldn't you rather live like those people do? How do they live that way? Because Christ is in all of it. He's transformed all of it. And Christ doesn't just draw me to him. He draws me to you. Now people are going to look at you. You buy into that? People are going to look at you and they're going to be like, you're nuts. You're nuts. You got to be you, baby. You got to live your truth, bruh. 
You get, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with people that aren't like you? That you wouldn't naturally have it. You know, you got to close your circle, and you only you got to people only people around you who energize you and build you up and believe in you. Oh, well, we used to call those enablers. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you take the time? Why would you share your life? Why would you open yourself up? Don't those people hurt you sometimes? Yeah, families can be painful. Didn't, and there are hypocrites in the church? Yeah, you know, I'm one, you're one, <laughs> right? Why do you work all that through? Ready? Jesus doesn't reject me for my hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't reject me for my sin. Jesus doesn't reject me for my addictions. Jesus doesn't reject me for my brokenness. Who's his body? Who put us in relationship with each other? Christ. So what do we do with each other? We offer ourselves as a sacrifice. We live a life full of love. We live a life worthy of the calling. And when we do this, we make Jesus make sense. And guys, in today's age, we make Jesus make sense to a hurting world that cannot get their head around this idea. That are striking out at each other. And God forbid that the people of God join in that striking out at them and God forbid that the people of God would do that to each other. It would break the heart of God. Why? Because Jesus died for this. He died for this. This is not an add-on to this. This is not an add-on to this. This is our relationship with Christ. And when a bunch of messed up, broken down, hypocritical, struggling people somehow choose to love Christ and love each other, it makes Jesus make sense. And people will look at you and say, you're wasting your life. What you call waste, I call love. What you call waste, I call the body of Christ. What you call waste, I call worship. So if you want to call it waste, then I guess I'll waste my life to save the world. Now I was thinking about how to wrap this up this week. And uh, I couldn't think of anything. And I was wondering why I couldn't think of anything, because I usually can think of something. I am a professional. And so I was like, what, what's my problem? You know, I just couldn't figure this out. And then I realized this. I realized this is between you and Christ. It's not between you and me. It, it, it's not you being accountable to me. It's you worshiping Jesus and loving what he loves. And he loves his bride. 
He loves his bride. So if you struggle for some reason with his bride, that's a struggle you have to, you have to figure out with Christ. I can't figure it out for you. It's probably deeply personal. It might be rooted in pain. It might be rooted in frustration. It might be rooted in a thousand things. I don't know. But I know you can't love me if you don't love my wife. You can't separate those two things. So if we're struggling with the church, Grace Church or the church or whatever, I don't know. Then we're struggling with Christ, right? If we're looking down, we're struggling with Christ. And we're missing the opportunity to proclaim him and make him make sense to the world that's desperately looking for hope, right? So we'll sing and we'll pray and we'll worship. Let's take a minute. But I want you to hang out with Jesus. I want you to ask him, like, is this lined up in my heart and mind well? And if not, is there a brother, is there a sister, is there a change that I need to make with you? Let's ask Christ to let this relationship play out to its full power so that the world will know, right, who he is. Jesus, help us with this. Press into us, Lord. This is an enormous opportunity. It's an enormous opportunity to please you, to worship you, to follow you, and then it's an enormous opportunity to love our world. And our world that's hurting, God, we suspect each other and accuse each other and are divided. That is personally painful when that happens in our lives. And we feel alone and we feel isolated. And the idea that there would be a people of God who would love us, who would accept us, who would press into the deep parts of our lives and do the hard work. God, that is so appealing and so empowering. And that's part of our calling. So would you press that into our lives individually, Jesus, and then would you press that into us corporately? If there's any division in the church, expose it, remove it. If there's any hesitation on our part, expose it, remove it. And then empower, empower your people to proclaim your name.